I was talking to Brother David Sanders yesterday, and I told him, I said, I think what I'm going to start doing, and, and it's not a series or anything, but every, every once in a while, maybe, maybe more than every once in a while, I want to do kind of like an old-fashioned Sunday school lesson, but for adults. Like, take a character from the Bible and talk about that character. Um, the, the way we used to do in Sunday school, the way we all learned the Bible, that's how we, I mean, I know for me, that's how I learned the Bible, is we'd learn about those characters on those felt boards, you know? How many of y'all remember the felt boards? Yeah, that was, I love that. That was, it made the world come alive at, at a young age. And so today is the first day I'm doing this. And, um, and my title is about Abram. And that's the guy we're going to call Abraham later. But, but he started out with the name of Abram and the covenant that he made with God. He has always intrigued me. I have to say, um, I can't say he's my favorite character in the Bible. I, I, I'm always drawn to David. But Abram is the most intriguing character. Um, I wish I knew more about him. I wish there was more information given in, in Genesis 11 because he goes from, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but in Genesis 11, it just kind of describes who he is. He kind of lived there around the, where the, uh, which is modern day Iraq basically is where he lived. Um, but in, at the beginning of verse 12, he leaves there and he, he's called by God to somewhere else. He was living in a land of idols. His dad made idols for a living. And somehow God, hey, Abraham, I'm going to use you. And so it's, I'd love to know what happened between the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. It just feels like we're missing some information. And, and so, but, but I think we can learn about him as we go through his life later on. Um, but I, I really would love to know what it was that was so extraordinary about him that made God pick him. And we all know what he became. He became the father of nations. He was the father of Israel. We sing... Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them. We sing that song. This is the guy we're talking about. So it would be interesting. It would be great if there was a, a chapter 11 and a half that told us about how, how Abraham went from you know, idol worshiping to God worshiping. I'd love to see that. Um, but what I think happened, and, and what we're going to see a little bit today, is I think what happened was God saw beforehand all of the wonderful qualities that Abraham had that we get to see later. We don't need 11.5. God actually saw 11.5, what was going to happen as Abraham's life progressed. And so God went ahead and jumped from 11 to 12. He didn't need, a, I like 11 and a half. It'd be great for me, but God didn't need that. Um, so this, let me tell you what we do know about Abram from the end of chapter 11. He had a, his father was named Terah. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is kind of, like I said, right there, kind of modern-day Iraq, the, the southern part. He had a brother named Haran who had died. Haran is the father of Lot. We always talk about um, Abraham and his nephew Lot. Well, that was, so Abraham's brother had died. So when Abraham goes to the promised land, he takes his nephew who no longer has a father. So he's taking care of his nephew. Um, at some point, Terah... And Abram and Sarai, she wasn't called Sarah at that time either, and Lot, they started out for the land of Canaan, the promised land. They only moved as far north as a place called Haran. And the story records that Terah, that's the father of Abram, died there at the age of 205. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want to go that far. And so we have this random man from a, man, a random nation full of idols at the end of chapter 11, 
And yet, as Genesis 12 begins, we find that God reveals himself to this man. That's pretty amazing. Then he also gave him some instructions as well as a threefold promise. So let's go to uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. We're going to go to verse 3. And, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the core of what is commonly referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. That is the covenant God that the, that the Israelites, the Jews today, still acknowledge this covenant exists. As a Christian, I still acknowledge that it exists. First, to Abraham and his descendants, God would give a certain parcel of land, a piece of land. The details of that border he'll give us a little bit later. But we know that modern Israel is in that grant. And second, God would make of Abram a great nation. This promise is going to take some help from God because he's 75 at this point and has never had children. He's 75. Now, Edwin Edwards was 86 when his last son was born. So it, we know it's possible, but Edwin Edwards married a, like a 28-year-old woman. Um, but Sarah was 65. So this is going to take God's help. So that's a small detail, but you know, with God, all things are possible. Third, God would bless all of the nations of the earth through this relationship, through what was going to happen from Abraham. God would bless all the nations of the earth. He would be the one with, through whom God would bring the promised redeemer. So it's going to be Abraham's line. From Abraham will come the, the Messiah, will come the redeemer that's promised. Even way back in Genesis. That's why when we read the Bible, everything is woven together. It's a tapestry. Each piece is, is building on the next. All the way back in Genesis 12, we're getting ready to see the birth of the Redeemer. God's already working, putting in place, Abraham, you're going to be the father of, of this Redeemer one of these days. And so it, it's pretty fascinating to me. And finally, God is going to be Abraham's protector because he would bless those that bless Abram and he would curse them that curse him. It's crucial to understand what God is doing here. And this is, let's just go through like a, a real quick Bible study. Man was created to bring glory to God. Man was to rule over the earth. Remember, he told Adam and Eve, name all the animals. I give you dominion over all the stuff that's in this garden. Instead, we, as we know, man sinned. He failed to fulfill that position. And Satan became the prince of this world. We kind of know how all that came, came, a play, came, came to pass. Yet even so, that does not mean that God was done with man. God still had a purpose. Man was to proclaim God to all creation while waiting for the time when God would redeem his bride. But we know the story. Man couldn't follow the rules. Man did this. Man did that. Man followed his conscience instead of following God. He, he did what was right in his own eyes. And he continued to sin and he wouldn't obey God. And as time went on, man became more and more entrenched in his opposition to God. Yet in the midst, in the midst of all that, God always had a remnant that those that would seek and follow after him. Noah is an example of that remnant, that, that line all the way through and all the way down to Abram. And God now chose this particular man and a particular line of his descendants that would become the nation that would be a blessing to all mankind and would proclaim God through them. And it was God's great plan of redemption playing itself out one generation at a time. We, we see right now, at best we have a span of 
I have a grandfather who's, who's 99 right now. And, and at best, we get 100. Let's just say we get 100. But God's, God's time span is playing out broadly. It's playing out generation to generation to generation. And it was God's great plan. And we find that in verses 4 through 9 that Abram did what God told him. He took his wife, Sarai, along with his nephew Lot, and he traveled to the land of Canaan. And it was there that the Lord again appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So once Abram got there, God, God appeared to him again and said, This is what I was talking about. I'm going to give your descendants this land. So Abram built an altar. Always a good idea. Always a good idea in your life. You don't have to actually go get 12 stones and pile them up, but build altars in your life. All the great, all the great men of God built altars in their life. And then he traveled to a place between Bethel and Ai, and there he built another altar to the Lord. At some point, though, he travels uh, down into the desert, and, and he goes to Egypt. Now, I want to I, we're going to talk about Abram. He's awesome. He's a patriarch. He is uh, father of nations, father of Israel, and all that stuff, but he wasn't perfect. And I want to bring out one of his flaws in verses 10 through 20 of, verse 12, of chapter 12. Um, he clearly wasn't perfect, and you're going to see this, and I think it's cool that we see that he's not perfect because no one that God's ever used was perfect. And I think it's important that we understand that. So verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. She's beautiful. He knew she was beautiful, and he's acknowledging that. He said, Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they will say this is his wife. So let's kill the man so we can have his wife. And they will kill me and they'll save you. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of this lie, is what we're going to do. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld her, and then she was beautiful. They said, she's very fair. So the, prince, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before, uh, before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. She was probably going to become one of his wives. That was probably the plan. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and asses and men servant and maidservants and, and she asses and camels. So I had, I'm going to, I'll buy your sister from you. <laughs> we don't think of things that way, but that's what he's telling. But once that happened, this is what happened to Pharaoh. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done to my house? What, what's going, why are these plagues befalling me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why didn't you tell me this? Uh, why did you say this is my sister so that I might take her to be my wife? And now look what's happened. Now look at this awful thing. So take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. That's crazy, right? That's pretty crazy to our ears. And we're going to end up seeing this behavior later in Abram's life and then again in, in the life of his son Isaac. Though Abram is known for his great faith, we know of Abram because of his great faith and his trust in the Lord. He clearly did not trust God here, did he? He clearly did not trust God. and he, he was, His faith was so lacking that he was going to tell his wife, who was his wife, Pretend you're my sister so that they won't kill me. He had just been given a promise. He's going to be the father of nations. God's appeared to him now twice. And yet he's worried about his own life 
and he's willing to do this lie. He was afraid that the Egyptians would kill him. Even though he'd been promised all these things, we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. I know I have this promise, but what if God won't take care of it? You know what? I'll come up with a solution. He didn't have to pretend that Sarah was his sister. God was going to protect him. He already had a promise. We do the same thing. We've got a promise, and we, God may not, he might be busy today, so I'm going to work it out my way. We do the same exact thing. We find it easy to trust God in some areas, but when circumstances change, we find our faith falters. Part of maturing in our, in our walk with the Lord is learning to trust him even when our fears are great. We will find, though, that Abram's faith continues to grow. Uh, in his life. And, and it's a wonderful thing to watch as you continue to read, read Genesis. And so God blesses Abram despite his lack of faith, and he returns to, from Egypt with great wealth. So all that stuff the Pharaoh gave him, he got to keep. So he returns back to, to, to Canaan, and he's carrying all this stuff, and now he's rich. When God's blessing's on you, God's blessing's on you. He, he's lied and done terrible things, but God's blessing was on him. So he goes back to the desert, and, um, and he camps between Bethel and Ai. That's where he had built an altar before, and he returns to calling on the Lord. That's what Genesis tells us. And it was there that uh, he, Lot, and, and just kind of skipping over some, doing some highlights of the story, Lot and Abram's herdsmen begin arguing over the, the fields, and Lot's guys wanted the greenest fields, and then, you know, they were, there just wasn't enough fields where they were together for all their herds. So, so Abram takes Lot up to the top of the mountain and says, you pick which parts you want. Of course, we know Lot picked the prettiest one. Unfortunately for him, it included Sodom and Gomorrah, which is not part of our story today. But that's, that's kind of what happens in this, in this time period. But just to assure Abram of what was going on, the Lord, the Lord appeared to him. And he said, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land you see... I will give it to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. And so Abram moved his tent, and he dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. That's the third time we've talked about him building an altar. And so the covenant is renewed. God has promised him a lot of things. Probably one of the things that I would have wanted the most and one of the things he promised to Abram was a promise of protection. In chapter 15, he tells Abram that do not fear for I am a shield for you and your reward shall be great. God gave him two reasons not to fear. One, the Lord would be a shield. That's, that's pretty cool. We need that. And number two, the Lord would give him a great reward. But as we can imagine, what was important back then, more, maybe more important than having land and cattle and everything like that, was, it was to have an heir. You wanted children, and so Abram was concerned with that. And he, he's supposed to be the father of nations. He's been given that promise. And the earlier promise was not just father of nations, but a great nation. And so the Lord restates the promise in verses 4 and 5. This man, he, he was, he, there was a, a man that was close to Abram that I think Abram thought was going to be his heir, like an adopted son. And the Lord says, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them, so shall your descendants be. You're going to have a lot of descendants. And it would be a child that came from Abram himself. Now we come, at this point in, in this chapter, we come to one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. We pass over it too often, but it states a principle that we would not fully understand until Jesus. 
Genesis 15 and 6 is one of the key passages in all of Scripture. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. The, the first he is Abram and Abram believed in the Lord and the second he is God and God counted it to him for righteousness. This scripture is vital to understand how the Abram described in Genesis 11 who lived in the land of idols became the Abram who was called to the land of promise. The Lord did not grant righteousness to Abram because of any work he had done, but simply because he believed in the Lord. The righteousness was imputed to him because he believed. That's, that's good news for me and you. That's good news for everyone in this room. In other words, Abram believed in the Lord and trusted him to fulfill his promises. And that was reckoned by the Lord to be righteousness. No man can stand before God. We're not righteous. We're not made righteous. We're never, there's no righteousness in us. But all the righteousness we have is that that Christ puts on us. And that's what, what God was telling Abram. Because you believed in me, I'm calling that righteousness. And that promise is also for us. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It is this faith in God that resulted in Abram being called a friend of God. James 2 and 23. Faith in the Lord and his promises is still the basis by which a man can be made righteous before God today. We too can become friends of God. Man cannot cleanse himself from sin. Nothing that you can do in this room can cleanse you from sin. You can't do enough good works. You can't do anything to earn that. We cannot work our way into God's favor. But God, he cleanses, he accepts, and he grants his favor based on the conditions that he himself has set. And that condition is belief in him. Understand, though, that belief, faith, and trust are sort of facets of the same thing. Belief, but they're not the same thing, but they're facets. Belief is not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just saying, I believe. What you believe, you will place your faith in, and what you place your faith in, you will trust. We talked about this concept in our spiritual warfare series. It's more than a statement. Belief becoming faith, becoming trust is going to play out in your life. We can make a statement of belief, but then faith is something different and trust is a, is a whole advanced level. But we work our way from belief to faith to trust. James 2, 20 and 26 points out that acting upon your stated belief is the fruit that proves the reality of the claimed faith that you said you had. Claiming to believe and then failing to act upon that belief only demonstrates that the claim was false and that there's no trust in it. So now we've come into the land of promise. In verse 7, God restates the promise. He said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And Abram responds, oh Lord, how may, how may I know that I shall possess it? This isn't an expression of disbelief, I don't think, but rather he's seeking after an assurance. He still doesn't have children. He still doesn't have them yet. He still has not had kids. And that's a big deal for the father of nations. It's kind of important. Most of us might do the same thing. We'd be looking for a confirmation of that promise. And so God responds, and this is a really cool concept, what happens here. God responds by having Abram prepare for a covenant ritual. If we're going to make a covenant, let's solemnize it. Let's do that. Just like in a wedding ceremony. You can get married in front of a JP. I know my grandparents did. I know a lot of people who have, but we also sometimes get this platform looking fancy. You know, we, we put flowers 
and we have this solemn occasion where people get married. So, so just like in a wedding ceremony, God tells Abram, we're going to do something here to, to make our covenant official. And so in verse 9, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Okay, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. He takes the cow, he chops it in half. He puts the head over here and the rear end over here. He takes the goat, chops it in half, the head over here and the rear end over here. That's crazy. That does not seem like something that, it seems strange to us. We make contracts these days by sitting down and hashing out terms and, and you buy a house. How many pages is a, is a contract to buy a house these days? It's insane. But it was different back then. They did something different. In those days, a covenant was made by taking an animal and doing exactly what we just talked about, splitting it in two, and they would be laid opposite each other. Then they would stand in front of that, and they would make their obligations known. Each party would say, this is what I'm doing in the covenant, and the other party would say, this is what I'm doing in the covenant. And what would happen is, is they would then walk, the two parties then, once they've made their obligations known, they would walk between the carcasses. So they would walk down the aisle in between the two, the two halves of the animal. The idea being that if the covenant is broken, then what occurred to the animals might happen to somebody who's making the covenant. We kind of get the phrase, cut a contract, that's, it comes from that. Can you imagine if that was the seriousness with which we made contracts today? Man, oh man, there would be a lot less lawyers. <laughs> Y'all wouldn't need me. But there would also be a lot less broken contracts. So Abram here has done what God said. He's cut the animals in half and he's laid them out and there's, a, there's an opening in the middle. And, and, and it, the, the scripture even talks about the, 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 the uh, birds are coming. Like I can imagine vultures are coming down trying to eat at the, and Abram's like shooing them all the way. Had to be surreal. Like really whacked out weird scene to watch. But God returns in verse 12. Listen to this carefully. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. He's talking about the Babylonian exile. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. God causes Abram to fall into a deep sleep. He reveals to him the future, what's going to happen, all the way to the Babylonian exile. But the most important thing for Abram's purposes is he says, you're, going to, you're, you're actually going to live in peace and you're going to die before all this crazy stuff happens. And then, so, and, and that had to feel good for Abram. You know, he, he, he's, he's not going to see some of the things that God's talking about. And as the night progressed, God then sealed the covenant with Abram and listened to how God does it. Verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between the pieces of the animals. That's what, when it says pieces, that means the pieces of the animals. So what passed between, can you go back one? What passed between the pieces was a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Okay. Verse 18. And it came... And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. 
the Kentites and the Ken, I'm not going to read all that stuff. I can't pronounce all the names. But he, that's all the land he's going to give him. The promise of the land is repeated and the borders are spelled out. All the way from the river Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea, from the Nile up to, to Syria. And it would encompass all of modern day Israel, including the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, all that stuff. It's amazing to me. It makes it easier for me to support Israel today. As a Christian, I also am a child of Abraham. So I recognize that covenant. And that's all well and good, and the details do matter. But the most important thing from this passage of Scripture is the fact that the smoking oven and the flaming torch, those represent God. That is what passed between the pieces of the animal. Nowhere in that scripture does it tell us that Abram passed between the pieces of the animal. Abram didn't have to. Are y'all starting to get what I'm talking about? God made the covenant. God passed through the pieces. God said, I'm going to do this. God covenanted with himself. This is, this is powerful. Abram was not with God at that moment. It was just God. It is a unilateral covenant. It is dependent upon God alone and not anything that Abram would do or might not do. That land still belongs to the descendants of Abram. It's politically incorrect to say that in some places, but it belongs to Israel. The land belongs to the Jews by God's decree. When God makes a covenant, it is forever settled. It's going to be real important in just a second because that's going to apply to us. How sure could Abram be about his covenant being fulfilled? He could be as sure as he was about all of God's other claims about himself. For the whole thing was completely dependent upon God. It was God that chose Abram and made promises, not the other way around. Abram didn't choose God. It sounds like he did in, in the beginning of, verse 12, of chapter 12, but God chose Abram. Jews and Muslims were all descendants of Abraham, and Christians are grafted in to become the sons of Abraham. So the descendants of Abraham, you can't count them. Jews, Muslims, Christians, we are the descendants. So look up at the stars and count them. That's how many there are. That's how many descendants of Abraham there are. Now I want to go back to that scripture that I told you was the most important in the Bible, one of the most Genesis 15 and 6. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Remember that first he is Abram, the second he is God. Abram believed in the Lord and God credited it to Abram as righteousness. Abram was deemed righteous because he believed in the Lord. Abram came out of a land of idolatry. That's where he grew up. His dad made idols for a living. His dad actually carved them and, or cast them, depending on what, I guess, what material you use. He made idols for a living. That's what Abram grew up in the middle of. He was in Ur of the Chaldees. He was not in the promised land. They worshiped the sun and the moon. They worshiped the gods of war, the gods of the harvest, whatever it was. In all of that, Abram decided there is one God. In all of that atmosphere he grew up in, Abram decided there is one God, the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That is the God. He's the one. He's not the God of the sun. He's not the God of the moon. He's the God who made the sun and the moon. Wow, what a difference. He rules over everything. And because Abram rejected idolatry, because he believed in the Lord, he through that faith, 
was called righteous. He was called righteous. His sin nature, which we're all born with, we all have in this room, was overlooked. His sin was forgiven because he believed in the Lord. He was no longer an enemy of God, but he was a friend. Now, this is, you think it's good. This is going to get even better. When you and I reject this world, the false gods of this world, the idolatry of this world, I'm not going to worship money anymore. I'm not going to worship relationships. I'm not going to worship things or stuff, but I'm going to believe in the one. I'm going to believe in the one. I'm going to believe in the Lord. I'm going to believe in the Lord for salvation. Yes, I'm also going to obey. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to, I'm going to get the Holy Ghost. I'm going, to do all, I'm going to obey, but I'm going to believe. That's the first thing we have to do is believe. I'm going to receive the promises that come after that. But all that follows me in believing in the Lord, that he is the, capital letters, the Lord. There's none beside him. And then because of my belief, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. Not because I'm good enough, but because I believe in the one true living God. Forgiveness and grace and mercy are all extended to me. He reaches out with those things towards me. His righteousness becomes mine. And I can now with boldness approach the throne of God. Can you say that with me? I can boldly approach the throne. How sure can we be that God will keep his promises to us? Let me tell you. God made an everlasting covenant with Abram. Israel's existence today is proof of that covenant. And on the cross, a new covenant was made. A new testament. The blood of Jesus would forever wash away the sins of all who call on the name of the Lord. I can be sure that God is all that he claims to be. For his promises are dependent upon himself. God covenanted with himself. Just like when he walked between those animal carcasses, man played no part in the atonement at Calvary. It was all Jesus Christ. Yes, some Romans nailed him to that cross, but the sacrifice was Jesus Christ. The atonement was Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about our own failure, our human failure. We don't have to worry about our frailties. We don't have to worry about our weakness. The covenant is unilateral. It's God with God. You can fall. You can fail. It does not destroy the covenant. The covenant exists without me and you. Thank the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've made mistakes this week. If the covenant was dependent upon me doing my terms of the conditions or following the contract, I would have lost. I would be lost. But the covenant is only dependent upon him. It's all God. It's all God. It's only dependent upon him. Jesus will forgive my sins. Jesus will accept me into his family Jesus will return for all who believe in him and take them to be with him forever. And it is a promise that is dependent solely upon him. 
Oh, you don't have to do anything. He's made you a promise at the cross. You don't have to do anything but believe. Believe. I asked the question earlier, why Abram? It's the question I think I began with. Why Abram? Many have asked this same question, and the truth is we don't know. We don't have chapter 11.5. We can look, like I said, at what happened in Abram's life going forward. We can see all the, the, the man of faith that he was, even to the point of taking Isaac up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. We know that, that Abram wasn't a man who obeyed. We know that Abram did all that. We know that kind of stuff. We, we can start to pick out little pieces and, and parts of, of maybe what was the reason what happened in 11.5. We, just, we don't know, but maybe we can pick up some pictures of, some pieces of the picture. But there was a, and this sounds crazy because what people Google, but I, I Google why Abraham. I Googled that. Why did God choose Abraham? And man, I found all kinds of, it was fun reading. I enjoyed it. I read and read and read. Why did God choose Abram? And, and all kinds of great suggestions. The, the Talmud had suggestions. The, 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 there were some that were straight out of scripture. There were, there were different writers, their ideas and, and their thoughts. But I came across one that I just, I latched on to. A guy named uh, Yehuda Alter. He was a rabbi in the, the end of the 1800s. He died in 1905 and, and he wrote a book. And he talked about Abram in his book, and, and he had a, his idea of what happened just, I was like, man, that sounds like the church. His thought was that God was calling many people in the Ur of the Chaldees. He said God was calling anybody who would listen, but only Abram listened. God was saying, all of you, come to the land of promise. Any of you that will come, come to the land of promise. But only one man listened. Only one man got up with his family and started walking to Canaan. Only one man believed. Only Abraham listened. Only Abraham answered the phone when God called. That's pretty cool. Because look what happened to Abraham as a result. I don't remember the name of anybody else in the Ur of the Chaldees. We don't hear their stories their, their descendants are not like the sands of the sea or the stars of the sky. But Abraham listened. Abraham believed. And to him it was called righteousness. He listened and he answered. And I like to think the same thing happens in our services every time we come together. Every time we've come together. A covenant has already been made that God played the complete part in. Nobody else had to co-sign with God. Just God signed it. And it was for whosoever will. Whosoever will come unto me, let him come. All you got to do is believe. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we gotta, when we believe and we start following, we're going to start obeying too and promises and things like that. But the thing you got to do is you got to believe. You've got to believe. Jesus is walking these aisles today. In this room, in the next service, he'll be walking the aisles in the next service. He'll be walking the aisles Wednesday night. He'll be walking the aisles next Sunday morning and next Sunday morning second service. He's saying, whosoever will, come unto me. Come unto me. All you've got to do is believe. And when you do, when you believe, the righteousness is imputed to you. We walk in dirty and, and, and stained, sin-stained. Our lives a mess, our lives a wreck, and we walk out with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Abram believed, and to him it was called righteousness. Jesus made the same covenant with us on the cross. I will wash away every sin. I will wash away every stain. Just believe. Rejoice in this news this week. Rejoice in this news this week. He's made a covenant with you that cannot be broken. It can't be broken. You can walk away from it and it can't be broken. You can come back and it's still available to you. It's always available. It cannot be broken. Rejoice in this news. Be comforted. Be comforted today. Knowing just as Abram knew that the covenant depends on him and not me. I'm so thankful it doesn't depend on me. Oh, I'm so thankful. Had it depended on me, I'd been lost a long time ago. But he made the covenant. And he keeps the covenant. And he opens that covenant to everyone in this room. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to do anything, but come unto me. I don't, do we have a song at the end? Okay, I'm going to close them this way. Since our, since our musician is uh, at a pastoral installation service, I want to close a different way. I would like everybody to stand, please. Maybe, maybe you have accepted that God's made that covenant. Maybe you believe it with everything in you and, 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 and everything that I said this morning just comforted you because that's what you already believed. But maybe you also walked in this room and you were not sure of your place in the covenant. Maybe that's where you found yourself today. But for either position you're in, I ask everybody in this room for the next five minutes. I'm ending early, but I ask for everybody for the next five minutes. Maybe Sister Michael could play some music. Search your heart. If there's any fear in your life that I, he, he can't accept me. He, he's, I've done too much. I, I've done things that I, I, I know he can't forgive me of. There, there's, there's things in my life that I just know I, 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 I'm not acceptable in his presence. Balderdash. That's a lie of the enemy. He's made a covenant with you. He's just asking today that you believe. Believe in him. Let that work happen then in your life after you believe.